Welcome everybody to the uh, Nectar podcast, Dangerous Ideas in Drug Development. Um, I think we're up to uh, podcast episode seven. Um, and we're very honored today to have both a um, brand new co-host, uh, Dr. Andrew Parsonson, as well as our guest of honor, Dr. Craig Underhill. Uh, though some of you who are listening may know my name is Dr. Anthony Joshua. I'm a medical oncologist at the King Horn Cancer Center and involved in the New South Wales Earthquakes Clinical Trials Alliance that has the mandate and job of getting patients to clinical trials across the state of New South Wales, as well as attracting trials from pharma and biopharma into Australia, for which there's a number of advantages, which I can certainly talk at length about at another time. So um, I will now hand over to my new co-host, Dr. Parsonson. Andrew, please tell us um, your journey, where you're working, how you interact with Nectar, uh, a bit about yourself for the listeners. Great. Thanks, Anthony. Uh, great to be here. And Thanks very much for the invitation. So my name's Andrew Parsonson. I'm a medical oncologist that works at Nepean Hospital in Sydney, as well as Macquarie University Hospital Clinical Trials Unit uh, for the other half of my week. Uh, and I got involved in early phase uh, clinical trials, uh, initially as, as a trainee and a fellow, uh, and now I'm coming on to um, being an oncologist at the clinical trials unit um, for the um, coming year. And I largely involved in, in early phase uh, clinical trials uh, there at Macquarie. Great. And now our guest of honour, Professor Underhill, tell us a little bit about yourself, your professional journey, um, and then and then I guess segue into um, where you're working and um, what you have to tell us about um, telehealth, teletrials. Thanks, Anthony. It's a real pleasure to be here. And thanks, Andrew. Uh, uh, I've quote some of Andrew's research in uh, the talk standard talk I do about teletrials. So we'll probably get to that later. So I'm a medic oncologist, uh, work in Aubrey Wodonga on the New South Wales Victorian border. I grew up in northern New South Wales uh, and trained in Melbourne and London and then was considering going regional. Uh, when I went regional 25 years ago, there was five medic oncologists in regional Australia, which is you know, we've come a long way in 25 years, right? I established a research unit on arriving in Albury with a grant and um, been a keen trialist since then. Morphed into some, doing some uh, early phase trials because I think that's where all the growth is. And so some of the larger regional centres are very capable of participating in clinical trials. Um, I... I guess I have, by nature of being in, based in regional Australia, I'm an advocate for regional Australia and regional oncology. And so my research interests have included health services research on disparity in outcomes between metro and regional and ways to overcome that. One tool is using telehealth to uh, overcome those issues of geography and distance. And so hence the interest in, in teletrials or decentralised clinical trials. So, Ken, thanks for having us on uh, for this discussion. Right. So maybe I just, just set the stage for the listeners. To, uh, tell us a bit about um, what is telehealth, what is a decentralised clinical trial, um, and then I guess you can, uh, Andrew, and you can let us know about the work you've done in the area. 
So you're asking the hard question first. That's good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've actually got a paper at the time we're recording this, we've got a paper in production in JAMA Oncology, which is looking at these definitions of what, what's teletrial, what's a decentralized clinical trial, what's a hybrid trial, virtual trial, uh, sort of a discussion paper. We're hoping we'll generate quite a bit of discussion in the industry. So teletrial is a term that emerged in Australia based on um, some champions who included Sabe Sabison, John Salzberg, Eva Segalov, and Koza uh, published a Australasian teletrial model. Um, they're using telehealth to conduct clinical trials. Uh, the term decentralised clinical trials really emerged in the Northern Hemisphere. It's been used there, and it was really um, accelerated uh, during COVID. Um, the, I think teletrials are a type of decentralised trial, the key, the key differences, I think, is that the the COSA Australasia model emphasises two elements. One is the network nature, so it's sort of a co-managing patients across a network, uh, and using uh, the supervision plan. So the supervision plan is like uh, in when you talk about trials conducted in a site, you have a delegation log. So the supervision plan is like a delegation log across the site so there's still a principal investigator who delegates whereas the dct uh seems to mean using telehealth for some elements of a trial but there's not necessarily that strict um delegation of authority under a supervision plan and um net the networked element so uh, i think in some ways the the australian COSA model is a kind of more robust, perhaps more evolved version with those checks and balances and um, supervision safety built into the into the model. Um, so I'd say that's kind of key. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Um, I think you, you raise a really good point there, and I think it's one area that's very sort of hot in the literature at the moment about decentralised trials, because I think when people think about decentralized trials, they often think it's all or nothing. Um, so that, you know, trial where um, all elements yes. of the trial have to be done on, over telehealth, whereas actual, in actual fact, uh, a lot of times that this hybrid model where some elements or some aspects of the trial, you know, can be replaced by, by telehealth or can be replaced by remote means um, it is much more of a sort of feasible model, particularly in oncology. Uh, clinical trials where a lot of the time some you know face-to-face aspect might be necessary or might be needed for a variety of, of reasons. Um, are you finding at the moment um, with where things are heading in you know Australia, New South Wales, it's leaning more towards a hybrid model or more towards um, a, a fully decentralized model? Yeah, I think we're all practicing that hy- hybrid model and that's kind of what a tally trial is that that all or nothing element is correct, Andrew? And so the the all element is really a virtual trial where the patient never comes to the main centre. Everything's done by telehealth. The drugs delivered to the patient's home. Um, you know, it could even be done with no human interaction if they just um, you know access the trial consent online. They may never get to speak to a human 
Um, and there's actually um, examples of those virtual trials published in the literature, and they evolved in COVID. Uh, the first one was published, I think it was in New York State, um, and it was a a, a trial um, by necessity was um, people with COVID, so they were delivering drug to the home, and all the elements of the trial were done uh, in the home. Uh, and so what we've come to mean is teletrials in Australia is really that hybrid model. Um, and so there's a central site, but some components of the trial are done off-site, and it could be blood tests or x-rays. You know, you think about traditional trial model, patient always came into the institution for everything, for the biopsies, for the blood tests, for the scans. They're all done in the one institution. We're all now comfortable with not doing that. We can gather the information from various providers. And equally, because of COVID, especially, we've got used to now, well, the patient can do some uh, uh, consultations online rather than always coming in. And then the next step is the tally trial where you network it. So you might have, say, you know, your centre in Sydney and a regional provider and they provide some of the care. And that, uh, to me, that's actually a safer way of delivering delivering a trial because, um, we, you know, this focuses on early phase clinical trials. So if a patient goes on an early phase clinical trial in a site in Sydney and they live in, say, Orange, uh, if they get sick in the middle of the night, they're going to turn up to the ED in Orange. If Orange is a satellite site in the teletrial model, they're already trained. They have they know the protocol if something happens in the middle of the night. So in some ways that if they're involved in some elements of the care, um, in some, in day, doing day seven visits or something like that, you know, it's it's actually probably a safer model in terms of patient care um so i think you know as we're all getting more comfortable i think even in early phase clinical trials there's going to be the teletrial model working across a network of sites is going to be i think a safer model it will enable more patients to access trials because let's face it if you live in orange you might not want to go on an early phase clinical trial if you need to drive multiple times uh, into Sydney to access a drug but if some of the components of care can occur in your hometown you're more likely to to go on to a trial so I think it opens up the pool of patients it's going to be attractive to industry because it's safer it gets more people onto trials there's you know there's a lot of I think pluses so I think we should just see it so the way it's evolving, I think we should see it just as an, a, a tool, just as we use online um, radiology or we gather information from other providers. You know, it's a tool to enable um, better access to, to clinical trials. The issues around early phase trials are no different to a lot of trials. We did a workshop uh about 12 months ago and we one of the key questions was you know what are the governance issues ethical issues governance issues around early phase trials versus all clinical trials and there's actually there's not a lot so a lot of the perceived kind of blocks 
are not tele-trial issues, they're all trial issues and we all need to be, you know, continuing to work on some of the um, uh, smoothing out some of those regulations and roadblocks. So can I ask you, um, so what's the relationship then ideally and also I guess, you know, in reality between the main site and the and the satellite sites? Um, is it a is it simply a like a contractual relationship where Dr. X in the peripheral site is contracted to carry out a physical exam and take a blood pressure and report back AEs? Or is it they're actually and that or are they actually a, a, a subsite and there's a subcontract and they're part and it has to go through a governance process, uh, or is it something else entirely? And what what would you prefer really? Uh, yeah, so the the delegation of roles and responsibilities falls within that supervision plan, uh, and in a governance level, um, there is um, a, a subcontract, and so Medicines Australia has a tally trial subcontract that can be added to a standard trials contract um, at, at a local governance issue there's not harmonization on expectations so some some uh, some research governance offices want to see the delegation log as part of their application and others don't and there was a national workshop auspiced by the Australian teletrials program uh, in uh, November 2023 to um, to look at some of those issues. So there's work being done nationally to try and harmonise some of those uh, RGO processes. So there's really about two or three extra documents needed to conduct a trial using telehealth as opposed to the traditional everything in the one institution. Um and then the issue of payments comes up. So if you're delegating, you know, um, consultations to a different site, how do you carve up the trial payments? So you can do it in a couple of ways. It can be by procedure. So you can take all of the, just as you have a contract with a sponsor, the various bits of care listed, you can assign a, assign a payment and, you know, bill accordingly, or some people have done it a bit more pragmatically. They've looked at and said, oh, well, we're still going to do three quarters of the work in the stent primary site and a quarter of the work's going to be done at the satellite site. So let's just, you know, we'll give you a quarter to save all the paper trail. So there's kind of different ways you can carve up the, the payments as well. But a lot of these... Um, as I said, a lot of the issues about the regulations is not just specific to tele-trials, not just specific to early phase trials. You know, it's these are issues that we face as an quotation mark industry, end of quotation mark, to to sort of reduce the red tape and um, uh, make it more cost-effective to do trials across networks. Hope it answered your question. Yeah, I guess with early phase trials, the, the, the model that you propose where there's um, a greater involvement of the peripheral sites is perhaps more important than running a phase three trial where um, perhaps that, that extra level of uh, governance may be um, less important. Um, so maybe for early phase trials, this 
delegation supervision model would be most adaptable? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so that's right. With phase three studies, a lot of the regional centres can be sites, right? So when you get to early phase, there's there's early phase and there's early phase. So there's first in human, you're probably not going to deliver uh, your study drug at a peripheral site, but you might want to get them involved um, by, they might provide the facilities. You can do a screening visit with the patient. So they might get, you know, you probably see lots of patients in Sydney referred for a phase one study, but they're actually not eligible. So let's just, you know, do the screening visit by telehealth. Maybe they'll come into the local cancer centre, sit with a nurse or sit with a medical oncologist who can answer your questions about eligibility. Um, maybe they'll do some of the blood tests or scans for you. Maybe they'll do the day eight visit. Certainly they'll pick up the patient if they get admitted probably with a side effect. So um, you can involve them in different ways. So I think even, I mean, there's, the phase one B. So when you open up to, you know, you open up to expanded cohort, maybe at that stage you change the delegation log, and maybe you know you've you've gone through this phase one A stepwise and proven the safety, and then you're opening up to expansions phase. At that stage, you might be comfortable in delivering the uh, IP at a peripheral site, but still maintaining oversight. So part of the teletrial model is you have a regular supervision meeting. Might be weekly, might be monthly, uh, where the co-investigator and staff and yourself would meet just to touch base and make sure there's been no issues arising in the study. So there's kind of that kind of supervision can be built into the process as well. I guess um, you being at the coalface now of, you know, clinical trials in, you know, regional Australia. And of course, you've mentioned a few names already of people who've been, um, you know, leaders you know, in, in this in this area. Yeah. What do you find is the barrier at the moment? Uh, I know that we've done, you know, a number of studies through the Australian teletrial model that was pioneered, uh, you know, through COSA um, and, you know, demonstrated feasibility. But now sort of at the next step, is it mainly around the regulation that you find that's the, the barrier? Is it around the sponsor level that they're not keen for this sort of element or is it investigators or staffing? Uh, what, what do you think is the biggest challenges at the moment? So if we pull those apart, so the sponsors, there's heterogeneity. I think some sponsors are more uh, comfortable than others and it's generally once they've done one, they can't go back. So um, they're once they've done some tally trials, they're very comfortable. Uh, there's some uh, there's some literature emerging around the cost effectiveness and the return on investment to industry. So because you're improving recruitment, getting the answer to the research question quicker, bringing drugs to molecules to market quicker, there's actually some significant return on investment to the sponsor there's a higher ex upfront cost because of that needing to put um, use more sites in terms of the governance process so there's a cost there but overall there's significant return on investment so sponsors are increasingly happy iqvia did a report 
for the Australian Teletrials program, they looked at sort of horizon scanning and um, they really showed that, you know, digital medicine, telehealth, we can't hold that back. Uh, it's going to be increased, increasingly used across all of health and including in trials. So there's some uh, increasing kind of expectation that sponsors are going to be happy. Uh, the investigative level, again, there's great heterogeneity um, and there's there's people who are happy, comfortable doing trials using telehealth. I think, again, once they've had experience, they're comfortable. Um, uh, there's others that are uh, say, oh, well, the patient's just going to come and see me anyway, you know, uh, but they don't see the patients who don't come. So working in regional Australia, we just know that there's a lot of patients who's just all too hard, so they won't go and see someone about a phase one study. At site level, the big blocks are still the governance and duplication, and it's a big effort to get um, trials open anyway. And it's a you know there's a uh, once you've done the first one or two tally trials, it's it's easy to to get through once you're comfortable with the process, easy to get through. Starting a trial is like setting off on a road and uh, the Alpha Trials have people have developed a really good slide that shows a car leaving a garage and it's like going down a road to open a trial and you hit a number of road bumps as the governance, the ethics issues, um, feasibilities, there's all these different steps you go through, right? And so a lot of the blocks are not really just tally trials, they're all trials, but the ones that are specific you know, we continue to work on that nationally, but, you know, some, that that's the main kind of barrier, I think, at a site level. So there's a number of things, but I think that what's lining up is that um, government policy in Australia is now really pushing uh, teletrials. The Australian Cancer Plan has a really strong element of equity and working across uh, networks. So that's where I think um, to affect change, we have the ground up, we have projects and sites that are championing the cause. But, you know, if we have government policy promoting uh, development of networks to deliver care as close as home as possible, it's safe to do so. Um, again, teletrials sort of fits nicely into that model of how we can improve equity of access across Australia for clinical trials. Um, so I think there's a number of um, elements kind of lining up at the moment. And, you know, we've proven that we've done the um, demonstration models. We've kind of tweaked, tweaked those. We've got industry engaged, got the policy support, and importantly, the patients are very comfortable with it. So, Andrew, you did some uh, work during the pandemic where you, um, I don't want to talk to it, you might want to talk to it, where you actually surveyed patients, right, to see what they were comfortable with uh, in terms of the uh, telehealth consultations. And so similarly, we've done some work with patients who find that they're very comfortable with enrolling on a trial and using telehealth. Um, and uh, one of the things that we we got out of that um, 
consumer perspective study was even if they weren't comfortable themselves going on a trial, they thought it was really important that there was the ability to go on to a trial remotely uh, if need, if patients wanted to. Um, so they, you know, generally we've found that the consumers are lined up as well. So I think we've now got, you know, there's a, a number of elements that have worked through in the last couple of years. And it's, I, I think, um, just as we had probably a discussion about using computers versus paper forms, when we look back in a few years, we will, you know, find this probably an interesting conversation that we were discussing uh, using telehealth to conduct trials. That's my that's my hope, anyway. No, absolutely. No, thanks, Craig. I think, um, yeah, one one of the elements that came out of of that survey and also from a bit of work that uh, Rob Zielinski did out, out at Orange is um, patients really like the the choice, uh, you know, to have that and having that flexibility, you know, as well, um, even in clinical trials, let alone in, in standard of care to um, sort of pivot and, and, you know, change visits if need be or change where they're doing the investigations, you know, if, if need be to suit their own personal circumstance. And, um, you know, you'd be, you know, well abreast of that, you know, being in regional Australia. And the other element, of course, thrown in now is the funding. So we've got the Australian Teletiles program, which has some incentive payments for both the primary site and the satellite site. This is cancer and non-cancer. But there's you know, a significant amount of money on the table to really give people the experience of getting Teletiles open, um, you know, get, overcoming the local obstacles, getting experience, being comfortable and doing it. You know, as I said, there's a learning curve with anything, but if that's solved with a bit of funding for people's time, then, you know, we're, we've gradually, I think, beaten down a lot of the the barriers and there's enablers now for us to, to start exploring it, even in the early phase trials, which people often say, oh, that's a bit hard to do with teletrial elements. But I think, you know, even screening visits, some components of care can be uh, decentralised. So for our, for our pharmaceutical listeners in the pharma industry, uh, biopharma, um, how much work needs to go into the protocol to make it teletrials friendly? Um, is it a matter of putting into the schedule of assessments, making some paragraph uh, about what's allowed, what's not allowed via telehealth? Um, what, what are your thoughts about, um, I'm sure there's a lot of you know great advantages to recruitment, to diversity, how much work needs to go at the front end in terms of the protocol to make these things potentially happen depending on the geography? It's a great question, Anthony, and that is um, uh, one of our key pieces of work. In, um, we have a work plan um, uh, in Victoria and nationally to, you know, what are the bits of work that we need to do over the next six months and one of them is uh, how do we take a, how do, can we develop a template? So when you get a feasibility or protocol, you can identify upfront which bits you can do uh, using telehealth. So, and I think the key is um, taking that table of, um, of procedures and looking at that and going, well, you know, you don't have to bring the patient into 
Zimbabwean Hospital in Sydney to have a scan. They can have that wherever, or the blood test can be wherever. And you know, what's the day eight visit all about? That's to make sure the patient's okay. So, do we really need to do their vital signs, or can it just be a telehealth call to ask them if they're okay and what problems they've had? Or if you do need the vital signs, can they do that? You know, at their local centre. So it's really taking the protocol up front and working out, you know, what what could be delivered, what has to be delivered centrally. And in an early phase trial, that could be the IP delivery. But, you know, what other bits can we decentralise? So we're actively working on a template that could be used to kind of, so that when people are developing protocols, they can exactly consider that element. And I think that's, you know, it will be a useful tool. I think the time to identify a product, what protocol is suitable or what elements of a protocol are suitable to use via telehealth is exactly that in the design of uh, feasibility stage. Once you try and retrofit stuff, it becomes a little bit harder, I think. So... Great question, because that's, I think, to me, one of the things we need to solve to make it easier to design elements of telehealth into a protocol. Great. Thanks, Craig. And um, I know that you touched on this a bit earlier, but particularly talking about the the network model, and I think particularly um, with your links to Victoria, you know, as well being being on the border. um, Yep. Have you had any experience or is there any current trials that are running um, using a similar sort of model for earlier phase, you know, trials? And so what's your experience been um, so far in that regard? Yeah, no, I think we've taken a few baby steps in that regard with the early phase clinical trials. Uh, And, uh, you know, we, we have done concentrated more on rare cancers, to be honest, or and we're doing some health significant health services research using telehealth, but um, uh, that that's the next step. I think is to be mm. working actively with some of the uh, bigger centres in that phase one uh, space. I know, Craig. Um, you know, I, I miss your own uh, podcasts uh-huh. as well. I know back in the day used to be an avid podcaster and, and, and a, bit, a little bit less so uh, these days, but looking forward to hearing anything that you might have in the future as well. Watch this space, Andrew. Hopefully before Christmas 2023, there might be a little surprise package for you to listen to. So uh, we'll, we'll let you know. But, uh, yeah, it's in, in pre-planning production. Thank you for having me on. And I guess... Uh, People want to read some more, and uh, where to go to is um, uh, the Australian Teletrials uh, Program website. But there's a whole lot of Teletrials online education modules and implementation toolkit, and they're stored on the Victorian Comprehensive Cancer Alliance website. So they've been developed in conjunction uh, with the Australian Teletrials Program as well, but they're housed on the VCCC Alliance website. So if people want to learn more or how to implement uh, teletrials, um, uh, that's there. And um, uh, we also have a manuscript in production. So, uh, people can watch out for that about the issues around early phase clinical trials. And as I said, this uh, 
compendium really about definitions is uh, will be out in the literature soon. So lots going on, and I think it's really uh, for the industry people uh, who listen to this, you know, have the discussions in house. I think it's if you're not already, I think it's um, kind of an unstoppable. Um, going to be an unstoppable feature of clinical trials using telehealth in some way uh, for trials. All right. Well, great. Thanks very much, um, Craig, for your time um, for your time this evening. Uh, and thanks very much to, to Nectar and to Max for, for organising this um, as well as always. Thanks so much. Great. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>